Welcome, friends, to our second season of the Reynolds Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reynolds, and this podcast is meant to encourage and bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. And also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and online at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey there, rappers. It's good to be back with you today. I am super excited to be able to get an opportunity to do another podcast with you. I know um, in the recent weeks, I have been so busy and uh, trying to work on Titus Camp. And Misty and I, of course, launched the uh, Reclaiming Hope podcast. And I had no idea we were going to get so many emails and um, responses for that. And so um, with that and, and the regular work that I have in ministry, it has just been it has just been super busy. And uh, I was hoping uh, now that I got into pulpit work again <clears throat> that I wouldn't be as busy in the summer because uh, usually in youth ministry, you know, you're just the summer is the busiest time. But it has just been crazy. Um, today, I wanted to share some thoughts with you about the Ten Commandments. Uh, I have been asked this uh, a couple of times in the past and received an email. Oh, it's been it's been at least a year ago, about whether or not I do a a podcast on the Ten Commandments and whether or not we use them today and how they apply and all those things. And so I thought maybe this might be a good opportunity uh, to to share some of those thoughts. I'm in the series on Wednesday nights here at Summerdale on um, issues facing the church or struggles facing the church today, different issues that we face um, in the, the 21st century, and really moving forward, uh, some some of these things that maybe we could, as we study them and, um, you know, talk about them a little bit more frequently, we might be able to kind of you know, push these things off and or at least be prepared for them as they come. And so that was one of the things that we had talked about is the differences between different religious groups. And there are some some religious groups, even Christian groups today, that still hold to a lot of the, the patterns uh, and the teachings of the Old Testament. Uh, and so I wanted to just spend this little bit of time here together on that particular subject. Now, I, I will give you a couple of things as we start. First of all, uh, I have been raised uh, in the Churches of Christ within our, within our fellowship of believers, and there are many. Um, we 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 call ourselves New Testament Christians. Uh, in fact, when I am talking about things, you know, things get into your vocabulary as a young child, and you you just continue to to repeat them. Like I've I've talked about New Testament baptism, and people will be like, "Well, was there an Old Testament baptism?" You know, and um, the New Testament Church. Well, was there an Old Testament Church? So no, obviously there was no Old Testament church and there was no um, Old Testament baptism. There were mikvah baptisms, which were proselyte baptisms, but very different. And so, uh, you know, we, we get into a, a pattern of constantly repeating the words New Testament. And one of the reasons is because uh, my, my feeling is that I try to stick to the New Testament as much as I possibly can. Now, I do love the Old Testament. If you follow the podcast a lot, you know Ecclesiastes is my favorite book in the Bible. I love the Psalms, uh, an easy second for me. I love the Psalms. I'm a history nerd. I mean, (laughs) big time history nerd. So I love studying Old Testament history. In fact, uh, at uh, Gulf Shores, when I was preaching there for over a decade, one of the things that we we did there uh, to kind of increase some attendance on Wednesday night was chose some really odd subjects to study. And I did for 12 weeks what happened to the tribes. 
what happened to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we went through and talked about how each tribe had significant people throughout the rest of the Old Testament and even the New Testament. Each tribe had one, two, some of them as many as 20 or 30 major players throughout the rest of the Bible. And so I talked about them and where they went and what they did. And then at the end, um, we did a historical survey and I used some research that I had been working on for six or eight months about what happened to all 12 of those tribes because they did spread out. And we know from, uh, from some history, both secular and religious, that some of those tribes actually moved together to certain regions. And that's, again, I'm just a nerd. I love, I love history. And so I often try to jump down these rabbit holes, you know, chasing things uh, because it interests me. So I love the Old Testament. I had a professor in college, Dr. Bill Bajance, who uh, made a statement one time in class that, and it may have been something one of his professors told him, that you always go to the pulpit with an Old and New Testament. You don't just go to the pulpit with a New Testament only. And that stuck with me. I still, to this day, I don't think I have ever in preaching, now I have sometimes in teaching a class, have taken a, an interlinear New Testament to teach when I'm going through a New Testament passage with Greek. But, um, but I don't think I've ever stood in a pulpit, not that I can recall, using a New Testament only. I only have a few of those in my office. I, I, I prefer to use a Bible that has both the Old Testament and New Testament in it to remind people that we're supposed to observe and, and understand all of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired of God, okay? Now, when it comes to the application of it, that's where we are today, the application of it. There are many, and again, many, many, many things in the Old Testament that are either not required today or have been completely fulfilled and unnecessary today, or were certainly meant for a group of people at that particular time that have, that have no bearings on anything we do within uh, the confines of an, a New Testament church today. So those are, that's kind of give you a little, a little opening monologue of where I'm going with this. <clears throat> so let me, let me also start with this. Anytime you drive through a city or if you're on the interstate, you see signs everywhere. I mean, there are signs all over the roads. Uh, anytime that you have to engage in some kind of a contract, there are all kinds of pieces of papers to sign. And the reason why is because we are very predictable people. Uh, humans are very predictable. We are extremely selfish. We choose to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And so, therefore, sometimes we don't follow the rules. And so our, the rules have to be stated to us and repeated to us over and over again until it sticks, so one of the reasons why I believe in the Old Testament early on in the book of Exodus, God says to his people, I'm going to need to give you a set of rules. Now, another thing, too, to keep in mind, under the patriarchal law, that is all of those men and women who lived before the time of Moses did not have a written covenant. It was simply passed down through the patriarchal age. They were each patriarch, whether it be Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or one of the other great men and women of Scripture that taught their children, they passed it down verbally to their children. And then those children taught it to other people. Really, organized worship did not take place among God's people until after the law of Moses. Yes, they met together and offered sacrifices. And yes, they got together, I'm sure, and had prayer. But nothing like, nothing like what Moses was going to institute in the book of Exodus, where God hands the law to him, not just the Ten Commandments, but, but also the additional teachings 
of how you apply those Ten Commandments, they were given to Moses at Sinai. So humanity is extremely predictable. We need rules. We, we need to understand that there are certain principles that need to be observed, and it helps us to be able to observe those particular things. So this is one of the reasons why God says, I know you, I created you, you're going to need a set of instructions or you're never going to be able to you know, exist within this world. And go back to the garden. Remember, God specifically says to them, you know, I, need, I need to give you a rule. I need to give you a rule. The rule is don't eat from this tree. Of course, they did it anyway. But that's the point is that, that humanity needs rules. In your lifetime, you will see a lot of rules. You'll see a lot of guidelines. And the reason why is because, again, we're foolish. We're selfish. We make some really crazy decisions. And so we know each other. And we're like, you know, I got to give them some rules. You do that when you leave the house with your kids. You know, hey, while I'm gone, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And, um, and it's, it's helpful. We need the rules. That's the purpose of the law in general. Ten Commandments or everything wrapped into one. We need rules to follow. The purpose of the law, if we go back, we can read in, um, I think as early as Genesis 15, really. I think the reason why the law is given to man is because God knows we're unruly. We're, we're unpredictable. We're selfish uh, among each other. For him, we're completely predictable. But So we need some laws to guide ourselves and to hold each other accountable. There's a few uh, times in Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that we're reminded why he gives the law. One is to reveal his glory, to reveal his holiness, to show that God knows best, that God's laws and God's rules are in place because he knows how he expected humanity to live. You know, he, he knows what he expects of us. Another one is to reveal not only God's glory and holiness, but the sinfulness of man, that we're we are human and we will we have a tendency to err so because of that we need this list of of rules to to hold ourselves accountable another one is um for israel for the israelites specifically in the old testament god said i need to give you a list of rules binding you so that when people come to you they're going to say oh these are people that are set apart these are people that are sanctified and holy these are people that follow a list of rules that nobody else follows so it set them apart as the, one who, the ones who worshipped the God of Israel, the God of all. And so these are, this is the standard covenant. If you don't follow this covenant, whether it be in form or function, if you don't follow it, if you don't speak it, if you don't say it, if you don't teach it to your children when they get up in the morning and when they go to bed at night and when you're walking along the way, if you don't do that, then you're not God's chosen people. So it's a mark for Israel. And I think Paul deals with that a little bit in Ephesians 2. And this, this, is a, this is a sign, a symbol, that these are his people, which you need to keep that in mind when we move to the New Testament. That there's a different covenant now that recognizes a mark upon the people of God. Uh, another one is uh, to give them a standard of living that can help them to try to do better. I don't need a list of rules just to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I need, a, I need a guideline that will help me to improve the quality of my life, both spiritually and physically. So that's the reason why the commands are given, specifically the Ten Commandments. These are standards for godly living. If you want to follow me, if you want to be recognized as one of my children, these are the rules of the house. These are the rules that you follow. And in that also, it, it helps to prepare them for a covenant that will come better that's even, even greater than this covenant. 
So never in Scripture is God saying this will be the only covenant. This was a covenant to help get the people into the promised land, to help establish them as a nation, that's important, and then prepare the way for the Messiah. Even Moses himself in his own teaching talks about how there is one coming who's greater than him a prophet that is greater, a teacher, a rabbi that is greater. And in that, he will bring uh, healing to the nation. He will bring a new covenant. Isaiah speaks of this. That will change everything. And that's Jesus' coming. Jesus never intended to come and live, uh, not, by, not just by the old law. He intended to, by his teaching and by his example, say something's about to change. Yes, he fulfilled it perfectly. He did everything that was required of him. But he constantly told his disciples, look, I know you've heard this before, but I'm telling you something is different. Something is changing, something better, something greater. You're not going to taste death until you see my kingdom come. There's a different nation that is going to be established. And that nation is not one based on blood, based on genealogy, based on who your mother was. The new covenant of God is established with all nations and flows from Jerusalem, from Mount Zion. And we can read Micah, we can read Isaiah, we can read Daniel chapter 2. We can read all, almost every prophet deals with this. In fact, we can go back to Psalm 22 and read how some of the psalmists talked about how the, the, the way Jesus died on the cross was meant to be so graphic and so supposed to be so horrific that you knew this was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. So it's preparing, the old law is preparing you for a new law. It's preparing you for something that is greater. That's the reason why we have so many prophecies. If God just wanted us to understand the law alone, why didn't he just end with the Torah? Why are there so many historical books? Why are there so many prophetic books? You know there are more prophetic books in the Old Testament than any other book? Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, all talking about coming judgment, the establishment of a new kingdom, which is going to include all nations, and the messianic promise of Jesus coming into the world. These things prepare you. You need this covenant helps you to understand the new one, the next one. And Paul talks about it as a, uh, a tutor or a schoolmaster. It brings you to, you need the Old Testament. I think we'd be foolish if we didn't study the Old Testament. I think it'd be extremely foolish for a preacher to say, well, I'm never going to preach from the Old Testament. I'm just going to preach from the New Testament. Well, you, you miss a lot of really good stuff that leads you to where you are. That's like me saying, you know, I'm just going to jump into the dessert first, which I have a tendency to do. <laughs> you know, I need to get some I need to get some of the veggies, I need to get some of the fruit, I need to get some of the meat from the Old Testament before I jump straight to the best, which is the dessert, okay? So I need to be able to understand the whole counsel of God. The Old Law also helps us to illustrate the personality and the ministry of Jesus. It makes you better appreciate the work that Christ did. You can't really comprehend Prophecy, if you don't read it, you can't comprehend the ministry and the work of Jesus unless you knew why he had to do it. So if you read Hebrews, is a, I'm telling you, if you really want to understand the old law, read the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And it puts it in great perspective that these things were there for a reason, but now there's a better covenant. There's something that is greater than that. And, and it really, I think about, like, for instance, I love the Psalm. Psalm 119 is a great example. Psalm 119 uh, gives us repeatedly, 22 different sections, how important the law of God is. And he says, you know, I want to meditate on it. I want to teach it. I want to share it. I want to live by it. I want to tell my enemies about it. 
uh, to understand the will of God, the mind of God, the works of God, the mysterious ways of God, you need to see the Old Testament. You need to be able to start in Genesis and see how the world was created and then how humanity fell. Understanding why there had to be a flood, the differences between the patriarchal and the mosaical covenant, all of that comes from Genesis. You can't leave that section out. You've got to focus on how the world came about and how it got so bad so quick. We need an understanding of God's ways. So we need the Old Testament and we need the rules of the Old Testament. Uh, the Bible itself interprets this as, you know, I said a schoolmaster, Galatians 3, but the Bible also says in Hebrews that it's a shadow. It's kind of like, you know, when you see a shadow coming and then you turn around and there's the image, that's the way, that's the, way the old law is. It was meant to be a shadow, a copy, a representation of something greater that was coming on the horizon. It's seen as a yoke. In Acts 15.10, Galatians 5.1, Romans 8 and verse 3, there's so many different places where it reminds us that this is a yoke that needs to be used, it needs to be utilized, but then it needs to be taken off, and a new yoke is put on. A new new covenant comes to replace it. Uh, James talks about the, the scriptures being a mirror. You can look into it and literally look into your soul. This book is our story. You know, I, a lot of people do genealogical research and stuff. The greatest way to understand your genealogy, your spiritual genealogy, is to read the Old Testament. Now, with all that being said, what does the law do? Well, we know the law can't make us perfect. Hebrews 7, Hebrews 10 tells us that. It's, it was imperfect. It was never meant to be a perfect law that was supposed to be established for all. It was meant to be temporary. It was, mean to, it was meant to bring us to something better. Uh, the old law can't justify you. Romans 3 talks about that. In fact, I, I really think you can go back to some of the things that are said in Acts 13, verses 38 and 39, and see that the old law had no ability to justify, no ability to sanctify. It simply meant that you're learning, you're growing, you're trying to get everything into place. It's the basic rules that give you an understanding of how life should operate under a covenant of people or a covenant with people that are from all kinds of pagan backgrounds. Galatians says also in chapter 221, it couldn't give you righteousness. It couldn't give you peace, Hebrews 9, 9. It couldn't give you eternal life, Galatians 3.21. The only thing the old law could do without fail is to guide you to something better, to lead you to someone, to something that was better. It's to lead us to a new covenant. It is to lead us to the New Testament church. It is to lead us to Jesus. That being said, we still need a lawgiver. We still, need, we still need a covenant. So the old law, and we've had this discussion of people talk to me, you know, well, isn't the old law nailed to the cross? Well, in effect, yes, the old law, the written rules and requirements were nailed there. That particular passage is, I believe, talking about our sins being nailed there and all the mistakes that we've made and all the, the evil and the things that we've done. But yes, the old law was in effect, nailed. It was taken away. It was, and I can go through all those different metaphors and passages of scripture that teach us that it was simply to be temporary. It was never meant to be a permanent law. The same way the patriarchal law was never meant to be a permanent law. God does a lot of things in cycles, okay? If you read Ecclesiastes, you understand this, chapter 3, my favorite book in the Old Testament, you, the, the, the Bible is based on cycles. Go to Genesis. Everything has a season. There are these four seasons of life. Um, every single creature goes through a cycle of life. 
it's the same way when it comes to covenant. With the covenant of God, in the Old Testament, you have the patriarchal law, lasts about 2,000 years. You've got the Mosaic law, lasts about 2,000 years. And now we have the new law, which is the law based on New Testament scripture, Christian covenant. And it's been about 2,000 years. God is pretty consistent. Now, the reason why the new covenant is greater is because it is meant to exist until the end of time. There is no need for a new covenant. And we have some religious friends that believe that the New Testament is a good book, but it needs to be added on to. You know, we need a new covenant. We need new teachings. We need fresh perspective, a new hermeneutic to be able to look at the New Testament. And I'm not sure that that is, is first of all, I, I know that it's not right, but it's I don't think it's helpful at all to try to look at the Bible and say, I need a new lens. I need a new perspective. I need a no. the Bible has a beautiful way of every time you read it, bringing to understanding. Remember that when you read the scriptures, it is inspired of God. It's, it's, it's bound and, and prepared by the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, according to Acts chapter 2, Romans 6, the Spirit of God, uh, Romans chapter 8, <laughs> gives you life. So the Spirit of God lives inside of you as a Christian, gives you life. So when you use the Word of God, it's like, it's like double power. I mean, it is like you're reading the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God in you is helping you as you read it, as you interpret it. And it is an amazing thing that every time you study the Bible, you're going to learn something new. It's the same pages. It's the same book. Many of you will use the same Bible for most of your life. But somehow, something in there, it gets to you differently than it did before. This is why Bible study is the most essential and most important thing that you will ever do as a child of God, in my opinion. You, we need to pray to God. We need to pray. Pray is not a very important part. That's how we talk to God. But when we open the Bible, that's how he talks to us. We need to understand and appreciate this covenant. And it's, it, it, it breaks my heart that there are people every day that declare themselves as a child of God, declare themselves as a Christian, and they've not read their New Testament from front to back. That's like me saying, you know, hey, I am a, an accomplished doctor. I am. Well, okay, what have you done? As a, as a, do you have an MD? No, I don't have an MD. Well, how are you an accomplished doctor? Well, I took a splinter out of my finger once. You know, and I, I I can put on a band aid, and I'll tell you what I can I can take care of 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 certain injuries, and I know how to medicate myself when I'm hurting. You know, I know I'm a doctor. No, you're not a doctor. You're not a doctor. You've not done all the research. Have you read Grey's Anatomy? I'm talking about the book, not the I'm talking about the book, not the movie. There, have you have you uh, have you done the research? Have you done medical papers? Have you done clinical trials? Have you done have you done any um, you know case studies? Have you do you have patients? Do you have no? But I can call myself a doctor. You can't call yourself a Christian if you've never read the covenant of God. You you have committed to it. You've committed to a covenant with God, and if you haven't read it, think about how dangerous it is. You wouldn't be handed a document that could bind you for the rest of your life, and you just go, yeah, I'll just sign here on the last page. No. You want to know what that covenant says. When you buy a house, you know, we, we pay attorneys and we pay realtors to help us interpret those pages because it is page after page after page after page. When I bought my car back uh, about a year ago, I went through that document and read every single page just to make sure that I wasn't going to get hit with something, you know. I've got to make sure that the covenant that I am signing, that I understand it and I appreciate it. And there are a lot of people as Christians who have not read the covenant of God. They have not prepared themselves. 
The Old Testament was meant to give us guidelines, rules. And God says, I'll tell you what, it's, it, it's going to look a little complicated. There's a lot here to it. So I'm just going to summarize it. That's what, the, that's what the Ten Commandments are. A summary of the entire law in ten points. Basically in ten words. This is the summary of it. So when we come to the New Covenant, obviously the New Testament is a whole lot shorter than the Old Testament. And some of it sounds repetitive because the first four books are basically telling the same stories from different perspectives. But Jesus says, look, if you want to really summarize both the old law, the new law, everything together into one little package, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you got that, then you get it all. That's the summary. Love God. Well, if you love God, you'll keep his commandments, Jesus says. What's his commandments? You got to read the covenant. You got to read the word of God. Those Ten Commandments include some very specific things that he says these are the basic tenets. These are the main points of what you need to do. And then from that point forward, people who say, well, I just follow those Ten Points. I just follow those Ten Commands, those Ten Rules. That is just a, that's just a, a point. That's not the sub-points. That's not all of that is included in it. You know what it really means to not have any other gods before him? Well, I mean, I can quote it, but do, do you know, really know what it means to make him number one in your life? Nothing else comes before him, including family, friends, job, money, prestige, power, prosperity. None of it comes before your God. God is number one. Nothing else comes in his, in his place. And then, by the way, number two, don't you ever carve anything that looks like a God. Don't carve anything with your hand, whether it be something on the earth, in the water, in the sky. I don't care. God says, I'm a jealous God. And I'll tell you what, if you start carving images, I'm going to bring iniquity upon your children and your grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. I'm not going to show mercy. He says, I have the ability to show mercy to thousands. But I'll tell you, if you don't keep my commandments, there's going to be some punishment. By command number two. We're already fearful that if we mess up, if we do it wrong, there's going to be punishment. The Ten Commands are not, not these nice little cute things that can be written on a bumper sticker. This is a, these are marching orders. These are the rules of the covenant. He's, this is the summary of the covenant. And so these are, these are important. And again, I compare these to the New Testament passages, like from the Sermon on the Mount and places like that, where Jesus will teach a little bit about what he expects of his people. And then keep going. He says, you, got, you can't take my name in vain, ever. You, when you speak my name, it better be with holiness. It better be with reverence. Everything else moving through the Old Testament shows that they were irreverent to God, both in their actions and in their words. And they made vows to other gods. They made carved images to other gods. And it makes it clear there's a reason why the Old Covenant had to come to an end, because they were never going to be able to fulfill all these things. They were too selfish. They were too um, jaded because of the societies that they lived in. They didn't understand why God wouldn't let them play with the other kids. You know, why can't we just be like everybody else? Why, why do we have to have God as our God? Really, the reason why the Old Testament shows us why they went downhill so fast is as soon as they got a king. As soon as they got a king and they wanted to be like the other nations, they were going to exalt him as God. That's exactly what the Egyptians did. That's who Pharaoh is. He is a son of Ra. He is just like the son of God. He is God's representation on earth. And it's the same thing that happens in the New Covenant. The same exact thing happens. We, you know, history repeats itself. And you know, to me, if as a, as a New Testament believer, if I lived in the early church and I had read my Old Testament and I had known that 
the reason why the Old Testament, reason why the old uh, the people under the old law, the Israelites fell apart was because they wanted a king. I would have had a fit. I mean, a fit when the church decided that they wanted to start putting up one man as the head of it. One man as the Pope, as the king, as the bishop, the head bishop of the whole church. That is exactly when the New Testament church went completely off the rails, just like under the old covenant when the nation of Israel went off the rails. They put up one man. Samuel understands it. He appreciates the fact. He's upset. He talks to God about it. They they rejected God. They didn't reject Samuel. They rejected God. They wanted a king. And God says, well, this is the, the end, the beginning of the end. This is it. So don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day? Again, moving to the New Testament. We don't have a Sabbath day. There's no reason to keep that. That's that's one of them that's pretty clear that that's not followed anymore. People argue whether or not Sunday replaced it. That's a whole other debate. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet against your neighbor, your neighbor's house, anything like that. Those commands are great basic principles, but it needs to be explained. It needs to be dealt with in further detail. So when we use the Ten Commandments to say, well, I'm just going to follow the Ten Commandments. These are good rules for living. All they are is introduction points to the rest of the Old Testament book, which clearly meant, was meant to be temporary. Read the book of Hebrews and you will see that. The old law, is it relevant today? Absolutely, it's relevant today. I think there's passages in it that are still important. I think there are great scriptures that are helpful for us to follow. But I'm telling you, if you follow the old law, you have to follow all of the old law. So you're going to have to keep sacrifices and all those kinds of things. I did an interview once with a rabbi in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. I was doing a, a paper, and I asked him, I said, how do you, if you claim to be a, um, a follower of, of Yahweh, according to the Old Testament, if you're, you're, you're a follower of God and, and you're a Jew, how do you fulfill the old law? And he's like, well, we've kind of replaced all those things. We, we pray now. We don't do sacrifices, and we don't do you know, those kind of things like burning of the incense and stuff like that. We, we just pray. That's, we've replaced everything with just prayer and good deeds and things like that. And, uh, and I told him, I was like, well, then you don't even need the Old Testament because you can't apply any of it. You know, I was not trying to be rude, but I was saying, how can it be, is it, does it still apply? Because I know that all, all Scripture is inspired of God, and I know that it's not of a private interpretation, Peter says. So is it necessary? Yes, it is necessary to study, to see the whole counsel of God. But Jesus didn't expect his followers to follow the Old Testament. Read Matthew chapter 5. Read chapter 6 and 7 in that Sermon on the Mount when he says, You've heard it said of old, but now I say to you over and over and over again. Jesus intended for his disciples to follow a new covenant. We can't rightly divide the word of God without the Old Testament. We need the Old Testament. We need to study it. But on the judgment day, Jesus says you're going to be judged by my words. His New Testament church follows a New Testament pattern. We are going to be held accountable on what we do with Matthew through Revelation. You're not going to be held accountable whether or not you followed the old law. You can read the old law, but again, look at your look at your Bible. It tells you when you open it. It is the New Testament. It is the new covenant. When I'm going to buy a house or buy a car, I don't follow the covenant that was on the previous buyer. I don't need to do that. I follow a new covenant that's been written specifically a contract for me at present day. 
the covenant of God with the New Testament was established on Pentecost and moves forward from that point as they continued in the apostles' doctrine, which Jesus told them the Holy Spirit would give them understanding of everything he taught. They followed the apostles' doctrine. The teaching of the apostles was the teaching of Jesus. And at the break of the covenants, when the new covenant is established, that is the purpose, the foundation that is the very basis of everything we do from that point forward. So if I want to be a good follower of Jesus, and if I want to be a strong, faithful member of the church, I need to start with the New Testament patterns in Matthew. So this is a challenge to you. What do we do with the Old Testament? We study it. What about the Ten Commandments? We read it. We understand it. But as for application, I need to focus my efforts on the things that are taught and required of me in the New Testament scripture. So I'm challenging you to spend more time in the word of God. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. You want strong faith as a New Testament believer, you need to study your New Testament. So make it a challenge before the end of this year. You can do it just a few chapters a day. You can finish the whole New Testament before December. You can do it. In fact, here pretty soon, I'm going to start recording. I'm not doing this to, to toot my own horn or anything like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm going to start recording me doing a reading of scripture because we have so many people that have poor eyesight and elderly members that are having trouble reading. So I'm going to speak into, uh, I guess, some kind of a device like I'm doing now, or maybe make a YouTube video of me reading scripture so that people can actually listen to the reading of the word of God from Genesis to Revelation. And I think it'd be helpful for you to do that. Speak it out loud. Open your Bible, read it, find a quiet place and study it. Make sure, because this is the book, these are the teachings that you're going to be held accountable to on the day of judgment. And, and I promise you it's going to change your life if you will study the New Testament passages and if you will learn and understand and appreciate the teachings of New Testament Scripture. It'll help you in a lot of ways. I guarantee it. That's all we have time for today. I hope you're blessed. And again, thank you for joining us here today for Reynolds Wrap. And uh, just go make it an awesome week. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus.